0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, B.J. Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, i been having a lot of fun doing this, and and I'm uh, getting to sit in with the uh, Someone I've known, he just told me for about 17 years now. So that's interesting, and I'm enjoying that. And I've wanted to have him on for a while. We've gone back and forth, uh, getting him planned. But this worked out. We're sitting outside at uh, Champions Run Golf Course in beautiful Eagleville, Tennessee. So if you hear any noise or commotion, there's golfers everywhere. It's busy. But – Mr. Sean Emick, with, uh, the, uh, he's the Mid-South Territory Manager with Syngenta is with me. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you, BJ, for having me. Ma'am, I appreciate you doing this. I'm glad it uh, finally worked out and you're feeling better. And You didn't have the COVID or anything, did you?
1: I didn't have the COVID, <laughs> but I got the uh, the three-year-old kid disease that yeah. uh, my child sends to give me some sickness every once in a while.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I appreciate you uh, doing this. I'm having a lot of fun sitting down with guys that uh, – That I've uh, known for a while and just pick their brain and talk to them. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to have some fun and chat and sit out and enjoy this beautiful weather. Sounds like a plan. Yep. Well, um, you know, let's start. I usually like to start with like how, uh, like your history and what, and where, how you just ended up where you're at. I mean, you're, you've got a great job. We've known each other for a while. You're selling... Uh, If anybody knows Syngenta, it's great products. I'm sure that a lot of people are using them and um, have a lot of good things to say about them. But uh, kind of walk me through uh, where you started, your story, kind of how you got in the business. And uh, I I know a little bit about it, but some people that may not know you would uh, love to hear it.
1: Sure. Well, I'm not sure how exciting a story it is, but I uh, grew up (laughs) in Monroe, Iowa. Uh, It's a little town of about 1,700 people outside Des Moines, about 30 miles southeast. And uh, for people here in Middle Tennessee, it's also the hometown of Jeff Madsen, uh, who's the superintendent up at uh, Tennessee Grasslands. So uh, Jeff and I didn't really know each other too well, but his his father was our athletic director at a high school, and Jeff and I were separated by about eight or nine years in school. And uh, I, my junior year, one of our teachers asked us, you know, what our plans were after high school, and I really hadn't given it a ton of thought, but I just made the comment to her that I'd like to be outdoors and around sports in some way, yep. and uh, and suddenly she got the great idea about Jeff Madsen, about what he was doing as a turf student at Iowa State, and that he was up at uh, Alvamar Country Club in Lawrence, Kansas, working there, and urged me to call him, and I did, and uh, Jeff was really helpful in terms of leading me down the path to Iowa State. and yeah. uh, So. Yeah, that's kind of how I started in the business, and then, lo and behold, I found out one of my older cousins of my mother's was also a former golf course superintendent and landscape architect major at Iowa State. His name is Gene Jennings, and um, he graduated in 1972 from Iowa State. Uh, he and I followed similar background early on in our careers, building golf courses and, and, the, and the golf course construction business, and then he went back and started his own landscape company in Des Moines and has been very successful, and actually just retired this last year. Yeah. so. Well, So how,
0: what was the process of getting you from Iowa to here?
1: Yeah, it's been a long, winding road uh, to Tennessee, but um, I'm thankful for it. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I graduated uh, well, while at Iowa State. I, um, uh, I was a walk-on to the football team in, in uh, my freshman year as a punter, and um, I really knew what my major was going into school, you know, and I was pretty set on that. And so I had a real hard decision after my freshman year um, to decide not to continue with football because it was going to take me six years to graduate with summer school and with all the chemistry labs and everything that were going to interfere with football practice. But um, luckily after that, I got a job um, in the work study in the plant pathology department at Iowa State. And so I worked with uh, Dr. Clinton Hodges, who just passed away a couple of years ago, but he uh, was our pathologist in the state, and all our disease samples were sent in across the, uh, the area, and we helped identify him, and also worked on a black layering project back in the late 1989 to 1991. Yeah. Um, so, graduate, uh, did several internships. I worked at um, Newton Country Club, was my first job after my freshman year of uh, Iowa State. After my sophomore year, I interned out at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which yeah. was a great experience. And then I worked um, also at Des Moines Golf and Country Club and the Amana Golf uh, Club in, in Amana, Iowa. Um, so to get to Tennessee, um, my first job as an assistant superintendent was outside Chicago at Turnberry Country Club. Um, about a year later, I had an opportunity to go back to close to my hometown and build a golf course for the owners of pedal Window Company and the Vermeer Company near my hometown. And uh, it was a project called Boss Landon Golf Club. And... Uh, took on more responsibility there than I <laughs> anticipated, for sure. Um, when I got there, the construction had started about a year and a half prior to me uh, being the first superintendent hired. Uh, there was no one really watching the general contractor, unfortunately, and once I got there and discovered a lot of mistakes, he actually pulled up stakes three weeks after I got the job and pulled up his crew and left us left in the middle of the job to complete it. So. The owners came to me and asked me if I could k- finish the construction, and here I am at 22, 23 years old. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I know, you know, by book, by books, what we're supposed to do, how a green's supposed to be built, and everything, but I've done it." And uh, they had faith enough in me, and, and uh, so we end up fi- finishing the construction, and uh, really proud of that project. It actually got named the number one golf course in the state five years in a row. Uh,
0: well, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and... um, You need to
0: celebrate that,
1: man. Yeah. Do you
0: get credit for the golf course build, or how mm, does that work?
1: I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But (laughs) uh, I had an unfortunate incident occur, though. Um, Right as I got the first nine holes open, I went on vacation for the first time in two years, and I was in Des Moines one night with some friends, and I was going back to Pella that night. It was like 11.30 on a Friday night, and I was scheduled to go back to work on Monday morning. Yeah. And... um, I got hit by a drunk driver in Des Moines and went through the windshield, broke my C2 spine in my neck, and you know almost died. So uh, long story short, I, once I healed up from that, um, I ended up going back to Chicago as a superintendent, and from there, um, I did something I never ever in my world thought I would do and that was going to sales. Because if you would ask me as a young guy, I would yeah. have said that was the last thing I will ever do as a salesman. <laughs> uh, but um, as a superintendent, I was a customer of the Scott's Company and their, their fertilizer products and was a big fan of them. And um, they just happened to have a territory open up in Chicago. And one thing that appealed to me was that they paid for graduate school. And uh, so I thought, what a great opportunity to, to go on and uh, get my MBA with them and, yeah. uh, and finish that. Yeah. So, uh, ended up um, unfortunately working for them for for three years, which were great years, but unfortunately in 1999, they sold their golf division to the Andersons, which took me to St. Louis, and I was the Midwest and New England tech field manager for the new products that the Andersons developed, including the contact DG products and things like that. Yeah. Um, And then um, those field positions were, were uh, there were three of us in the country one in South Carolina I was in the Midwest and one in California they were uh, downsized and they the company wanted me to move to Maumee Ohio to work in marketing which marketing would have been great but I just wasn't sure I wanted to live in in the Toledo area so uh, instead I moved from St. Louis down to Atlanta or I, when I met you BJ when I started with Rainbird yep and had uh, basically the Southeastern Conference in terms of uh, Geography for for Rainbird, except Florida. So uh, everything from uh, Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Louisiana were, were part of my territory. So I got to be uh, got to be frequent with the Atlanta, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport that during that tenure. No kidding. And then, um, and then a position opened up with uh, Syngenta, you know, a few years later, and that's what brought me to Tennessee and with Syngenta, and I've been there 15 years now. So it's kind of crazy how time flies. Yeah.
0: So what was it like going from uh, irrigation product company to, uh, you know, chemical, you know, uh, sales company like that? What's that?
1: Yeah, transition like. yeah the, you wouldn't think there's a big difference in them but in reality there's a huge difference in terms of the uh nature of the, the business cycle with those two companies because if you think about irrigation it's all project driven yeah and uh it's just not you know you're going in and you're trying to build relationships with people you know over a year and a half maybe or so maybe two years maximum and uh we're in in the chemical side of things you're dealing with them on a perennial basis and trying to overcome problems and so i'm just more comfortable with that side of the business than i was irrigation
0: it sounds like more of your background too from what you were saying you know that's kind of where you were falling into i mean irrigation's specific in a lot of ways and yes and whereas you you know the the chemical side can be you can use sort of some of your talents and some of the things you know and uh and help people a little bit more you know On a more frequent basis, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I'm definitely more comfortable on this side of the business. And uh, like I said, where I can go in and meet them year after year and and see progress over over time. And uh, that's what really motivates me is not to sell product, but just to help customers out. And especially if they have a particular problem and we can overcome it together, it's the best thing for me.
0: Well I think that's you know that 's the number one premise in anything in sales is you 're really trying to help people yeah you know, and you know whether you 're selling them something or just trying to help them I think that's the biggest that 's the biggest thing you want to try to be able to do is is provide a value to someone that above and beyond just selling them a product
1: exactly right yeah because yeah. i don't i don't get any thrill you know selling someone uh, you know twenty thirty thousand or whatever it might be i don 't leave that office if I get the sale. and with high five and people that that's just not who I am but yeah. it's all it's all about you know the long term relationship and and uh, you know bringing the most pr- value we can to to our customers yeah
0: now to kind of clarify are you direct selling to customers or are you doing through yeah. product distribution
1: yeah the great point uh, as a manufacturers rep uh, we work through our independent distributors yep. and uh, a lot of our this time of the year as we get into early order I still work with our top 200 customers across the the territory of my three states and and so uh, because many of our products are agency I work in partnership with our distributors to to, uh, support that customer and this time of the year we have these online calculators that I spend a lot of time using to try to uh, maximize the savings for my customers since most of the products are agency anyway.
0: Yeah and agency means that they're just a set price across the board.
1: Yeah, uh, it's actually a legal term. So, and with agency products, Syngenta technically owns the products at the time of the sale, even though they may be sitting in a in a particular distributor's warehouse. Yep. Um, we actually own them. Um, they per- the customer purchases those products uh, from Syngenta, and then we pay the agents that uh, are authorized to sell our products a commission at the time of the sale. So where non-agency products are still made by us and manufactured by us, but they're sold to our distributors, which are then resold to the golf courses.
0: And is there a, a distinct difference between agency and non-agency products? Is there...
1: Yeah, yeah. most of the not, non-agency products tend to be uh, either in smaller packages or maybe older chemistries that uh, uh, are not as modern as, as the newer ones we Got bring you. to market. And that's yeah. the cool, exciting thing about what we do too. I think, I'm sure BSF reps and Bayer reps would say the same thing, but when you know we're trying to always stay ahead of mother nature and resistance uh whether it's weeds or funguses and uh it's cool to bring new new products to market and when i have someone like lane treadway uh, who's just phenomenal in terms of knowledge uh you know all i have to do is pass on the things that he teaches me and that's pretty cool
0: yeah well i'm i'm definitely going to dive deep into some of that stuff i will probably bore people to death but you know (laughs) i I, it's interesting to kind of learn and maybe somebody will pick up on some of that but I want to talk a little bit more about your career and just, and just pick your brain a little bit. What, um, you, so you didn't have any desire to kind of stay as a builder, golf course superintendent, or it, it just kind of fell the way it did? How'd that work out?
1: Yeah, it fell the way it did. Uh, my, my intention, actually, when I took that job in Iowa, it was literally eight miles from my hometown. Yeah. So um, I just poured my heart and soul into that project for, for two years. I, I think I took five days off in the two-year period, worked Sundays, worked up sundown sounds pretty normal (laughs) yeah uh you know beating out thunderstorms and in uh the first year i was on that project during the growing it rained 41 days in a row in 1993 and it was just so frustrating it was like working in the mud the entire time with no roads and um so so yeah it's um what happened eventually is that the the second management company that took over that project I, i was was my employer and um Unfortunately, they did not have disability insurance for me, so they couldn't pay me while I was off work. Yeah, And, uh, yeah, so I was brought in, uh, kind of unceremoniously let go. After about two weeks, uh, I was forced to sign a resignation letter by the company. And uh, once the owners found out about that, the the developers, they were not real happy, and they actually let that person go. So uh, they they ended up needing, uh, ironically, needing my testimony to... uh, settle a mediation dispute with the general contractor who left the job, so.
0: Yeah, sounds like a lot of drama there and fun stuff. Yeah, (laughs) we won't die, we'll just skim past that. So how much do you talk about the experience of the accident that you have and how that's affected your life and stuff? Is that something you talk about a lot or do you feel like comfortable talking about it? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess probably early on after, especially in the first few years afterwards, my, uh, uh, because the the seatbelts actually failed in my car, uh, the Takata company who's out of Japan is currently recalling numerous uh, airbags in cars right now because there's shrapnel flying through people's uh, skin and stuff during deployment. Well it's the same company that recalled my seatbelt in 1994 and uh, yeah. so as a result of the car accident I literally went through the windshield, my My head was evidently up to my neck through the windshield and I had a pretty bad scar on my face and my scalp so I think early on I was probably really uh, you know, cognizant and just sort of self-conscious about the scar, and so I didn't want people to think I was in a barroom brawl or did something sure. nasty. So, <laughs> so maybe I explained it, uh, you know, and talked about the the car accident in those terms. But uh, no, it's it's something I'm really grateful that I'm even here to talk about because yeah. uh, I could have very easily died in that accident.
0: Well, it sounds. I mean, I know you're kind of skimming over, but I it it's, it sounds like it was pretty rough on you, and it's still. I mean, you still have some. Effects from it today, don't you?
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, I did definitely uh, have uh, arthritic arthritic conditions in the back of my neck all the time, and kind of a just a low-level pain all the, the back of my neck and head. And yeah. it's just something I deal with with uh, with migraines occasionally too. So yeah. But yeah, it, overall, I'm I'm pretty lucky. Uh, I can still walk and getting around, and uh, so I'm I'm pretty fortunate at the end of the day.
0: What uh, whatever happened to the the individual that hit you?
1: It was a 19-year-old girl that hit me. She was driving her parents' car, and evidently she'd been at a at a party um, that night. And from what I understand, that she took a breathalyzer and was three times the legal limit. Blew point two two three is what I re- recollect. And sure. uh, so she... At that time, the laws were not that strict in Iowa. And so she spent one night in jail and lost her license for 30 days. And that was it. And... Uh, she never sent me an apology letter, so it's probably some bitter feelings there. Had, had I been the one on in her shoes, I, I couldn't have, you know, not written the person that I injured or hurt. Yeah. So that, that, that's always bothered me, but I'm sure the, the lawyers told her not to do so. But uh, at any rate, yeah, she, she was fine and didn't get a scratch in the accident from what I understand.
0: Wow. Well, that's probably, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, I'm sure that's probably tough, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you're right. You don't know what they were, she's being told and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And yep. And she's, she's still got to live with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whether At some she, point, it's going to pay. You know, it's going to, you know, be something she thinks about, you know.
1: Well, who knows? You yeah. Know? But, uh, yeah, she was trying to beat out a red light from what I uh, was told because there's not a lot I remember about sure. the accident. Uh, thank God there was a witness that was between my car and the girl that hit me that saw everything that happened. And... Uh, evidently, the girl was trying to beat a red light that was going from yellow, you know, to red, yeah. and didn't see me turning in front of her, and so she was going about fifty and a thirty-five when she hit me. So.
0: Yeah. Well, thankful you're you're good and your health is you know as good as it can be, and glad to have you around still, man.
1: Well, thank you. You know, <laughs> I tell people I'm lucky. I'm Irish and have a really hard head, so <laughs> it's certainly well in this situation. You know, I, one
0: of the things that um, I mean. So, how much do you listen to the podcast or mine in general? I
1: I need to start doing yeah. it honestly, and uh, it, it's uh, there's so many guys in the Middle Tennessee area that I'm sure have done them, and, yeah. and I need to learn more about them. But yeah. uh,
0: do you, are do you, are you a podcast guy? I mean, you travel a bunch. Do you listen to them or or what?
1: Uh, I do sometimes. Uh, yeah. This year has been kind of different because of the COVID situation. Sure. We were on travel lockdown between March 5th and just until a month ago, we were allowed to travel for the first time. So. Uh, that would be the time uh, going through Arkansas, or Mississippi, when I would sit down and listen to them. So but sure. this year's just been uh, working from home, doing as much as I can work-wise, and also doing a lot of home projects because of the extra time I have. Right. On.
0: Well, what I was kind of getting to was is that my, so my podcast kind of came about in a lot of different ways. It Was kind of a something I thought this industry needed. I, you know, I thought that you know we could shed light on people uh, in our industry. You know, I had in the end as a golf course superintendent, I still am. I still talk to a lot of people around here, and and I've had a lot of fun doing it. But the the whole making the turn idea was about um, coming back, or or, or you know, uh, the concept of the golf analogy of you know, you play nine holes and you turn and you and you make the turn, you go the back nine, and mm-hmm. really you really got to put whatever happened on the front nine, or if you you know whatever behind you and just go on. And so that, I kind of use that as an analogy for life. It's like, you know, it doesn't really matter what's happened to now. It's kind of what you're going, you know, what you're going to do with it now and going forward. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where the concept came from. I, 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 you know, I promote it that way. And and I enjoy the, 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 the the analogy with kind of what my life is like when I got let go from Brentwood and, and how, you know, I didn't know what I was wanting to do. And, but, you know, I still love this business. I still love being around it. And so, and then, you know, being that I wanted to start this podcast, I, I thought, well, this is a good way. It's, ther- it's therapy for me to talk to guys, it's, to stay relevant, and also to, you know, do something I enjoy, and I don't make a single cent off doing it. So, mm-hmm. But I say that to say, you know, the things that happened in your life, you know, had to have impacted you in some way that's made you kind of look at things a little differently, you know, mm-hmm. because... We're not promised tomorrow. Things can happen in, in a moment's notice and, and you know, and we don't wish bad things to happen on people, but you know, it's the reality of the situation is is that, you know, they do and you know and, and so, you know, whatever fuel that does to use you to do better things or be a better friend or better husband or whatever the case might be, or just be, you know, more energetic in life in general. I, I feel like that those types of things happen to us for some reason yeah. to push us to the next, the back half of our life. Yeah. Is that something you feel? Or? Oh,
1: absolutely. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I remember, uh, uh, and I've always been kind of a forward looking person anyway. Um, uh, and, you know, just playing four sports and growing up and stuff, you just learn that if you get knocked down, you got to get up. And uh, that's something I definitely want to pass on and teach my son. Yeah. In my experience, I know um, for me, you know, you know, the importance of life really hit me that night. Uh, the funny part was is I was wheeled into the ER, and I, the ambulance put me on a uh, gurney and strapped my head down to the board. And I remember being in the back of the ambulance and asked me what church I belonged to because they weren't sure I was going to make it. So they, they called a Methodist preacher to meet, meet us at the ER. And I made it. And uh, next thing I know, I'm going into ER. And I see all these <laughs> bright lights up on t- top of me. Um, and the cool thing was, is there was three really cute nurses starting to take my, strip my clothes off.
0: There you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to be okay. So. Yeah. But in all funny, in all honesty and um, seriousness, though, that night um, was probably a turning point in my life in terms of just, becoming a believer again in Jesus. And, and yeah. um, I just remember praying to him while I was in the in the bed that night that, you know, I, I can survive to have a family and have children and um, just prayed really hard and cried a lot. So and on top of it, my, my cousin, Marty, um, when I was 15, died in a car accident. And ironically, he was wheeled into the same ER, the same hospital. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, didn't make it that night. And uh, the first person I saw come into the ER was actually his mother and my mother wow and uh, when I saw her I just lost lost it completely and yep. started bawling but uh, it definitely during those moments when you're on your hands and knees uh, that's when I think uh, we definitely need encouragement and need Jesus Christ yep. in our life and uh, definitely has given me a more positive outlook and and moving forward yeah. for sure I, I I
0: do think that those uh, those instances and events in our life cause us to be more conscious of that. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't the case. A lot of times people, you know, we're never needing to pray or to, you know, thank God or Jesus when things are going great in our life. You feel like, you know, we're supposed to be that way. But, you know, a lot of times that's not really the reality. The reality is you need more and more than ever, Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and I, you know, I don't want to harp on that too much, but at the same time, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, we look at things and say, well, I need you now, you know, and yeah. you know it's it's a, a
1: believer isn't easy, you No, know? it's, and it's not. uh life isn't easy, and uh I just think you're right, I think uh the tough moments bring you to your knees and yep. realize you need more help than just yourself, yeah so now
0: were you single then this mm-hmm. is a, this is obviously early in your
1: yes sir, yeah i was uh, twenty six years old at the time, so yeah. uh yeah it end up getting married later on in life uh, yeah. which i didn't really plan on but again <laughs> we're not in control of that but
0: hope she doesn't hear this
1: <laughs> no i mean i i, uh, I didn't when, if you would ask me when i was 18 years old if i was going to be 42 and i got married i would have said no you know i would have yeah. thought i'd be done having kids by the time i was 30 but yeah uh that's just kind of the way it, it worked out so
0: yeah well you know I, I appreciate you sharing all that i mean that's good and i, I you know like i i, I say this a lot you know I don't know who listens to this but I know a lot of people do and if somebody's dealing with something like that or they've been through it they kind of can relate to your story they may reach out to you um, you know and it's just it's just one of those things I think at some point I don't know how it all works I don't know how this all comes together but eventually somebody will uh you know maybe hear and it and reach out to you and say how'd you, how'd you how'd you make it through all that you know uh, yeah
1: that'd be fine yeah, yeah. And Joe.
0: never um uh, pardon the uh announcements out here they got a busy day but uh <laughs> so um uh you uh so you you want to talk a little football before we dive in a little, uh, I mean, oh, I, how's your eyes, man. you know, the, okay, I, I, let's start here. You, the, the, you talked about a little bit of the uh, COVID and how you are dealing with it. Cause I was interested to see how, so you've been working at home mm-hmm. and dealing with that and, and, but you, are you kind of through that now? Are you able to get back out and kind of visit? Obviously yep. you're here, so.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, basically, uh, St. Jenna had some, Really uh, strict ground rules for us this summer, and
0: um, was that company-wide? I'm yes. assuming across the whole world.
1: Yes, yeah. and uh, so we are able to travel right now um, in, within our territories by driving. And the rules basically are: if we can uh, be, uh, you know, six feet apart, we one one-on-one with our customers, preferably outside, like we are. Yeah. Avoid uh, eating situations if possible. So they set some some guidelines, but yeah, we're we're basically fully. Uh, able to go out and see our customers which is really cool because it's a critical time of the year for us to do that yeah
0: well i mean i know it's been a hard time for everybody and everybody's dealing with it in some way or another i I, you know i i've been able to get outside and and a lot of people that's in the golf business have been able to kind of just kind of do their thing and it's been nice but i know so many other people you know like yourself just having to stay inside stay you know not really sure being mandated by your company or whatever and it's just been hard and but uh, hopefully we're on the downhill side of this thing.
1: Well, I can tell you there's not a weed in my yard this year because I <laughs> hand-pulled every one of them, I think, just be, getting outside to just try having to get to, some fresh air. Just
0: having know. to do something.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, football's back, and uh, mm-hmm. I know that uh, your your Iowa State Cyclones didn't start off real well, but uh, it's good to at least see that they're playing, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get back. I think it's just sports are just a sign that getting back to normal has, you know, got to happen at some point.
1: No doubt about it. Yeah, it's uh, – was thinking we were going to be actually be attending the first game at Iowa State, and then uh, unfortunately CNN came on with a, a uh, national spotlight on Iowa State that uh, we were going to allow 25% of our, our capacity into our stadium and put some political pressure on that. And then our uh, president at Iowa State kind of changed her mind at the last second. So my Cyclones played in front of an empty stadium, but. Uh, didn't play so well. Yeah. Last week against the Louisiana region Cajuns, and uh, they came in there and whooped us pretty good. So, hats off to them. They deserved the win. And uh, a couple special teams breakdowns on a punt return and a kick return just broke yeah. our back in that game. So. Yeah.
0: You know how crazy was it that it was going to be? Now I know they've ch- since changed it, but that Iowa State was going to get to play and Iowa was. Seemingly not going to be able to play. That that well, seems that's so. No, cr-
1: that's no surprising. To anybody from that really knows Iowa because they're they're kind of a weak weak sister <laughs> of the poor up there. Now there's there's no love lost between Iowa fans and Iowa State fans. That's yeah. for sure. But uh, it's ironic that the Big Ten I think just announced the other day that they're going to start up here next month. So I'm glad to see that. But. Unfortunately, the Iowa State rivalry was was uh, cut short this year yeah. due to the Big Ten announcing early on that they weren't going to play. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, they had to make you know adjustments, and yep. I'm still curious as to how everything's going to work because the Big Ten was out, now they're back in, now the Pac-12 might be back in. I, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm you know, it's not a football podcast, but I certainly am highly interested in the football aspect of life and what's going on out there, and yep. it just seems crazy, you know. SEC is going to play ten games. But they're still going to try to have a playoff system, you know what? It's just, I don't know, it's maddening. But it is, it is, yeah.
1: and uh, you know, it, uh, it's really cool to see that uh, at least they're they're making attempts to play this year and be able to watch them on TV at the very least. Yeah. And uh, I even think about the effects on the economy, of hotels and restaurants and. You know, it's definitely uh, a big deal for for uh, people in the entertainment industry across the country to, to be hosting and, and restaurants to fill up their seats. So yeah. uh again, like you said, the quicker that the country can get back to normal. I think football's a big part of that. Yep.
0: And you know, and and you know, like you said, the restaurant industry hard you know, you know, it's been just shaken up across the country, mm-hmm. the music industry, people just playing live music. You know, a lot of things like that are just, um, you know, feel for those people that are yep. just impacted by that. I mean, just think about the people that are at stadiums right now that are half full or, you know, sell refreshments or, you know, that's what their job is. They make
1: money. Yep. I mean, I just don't know. I don't know how everybody's doing it, you know. I know. I know. It's, uh, it's a really sad situation right now. Mm-hmm. So the quicker that we can get back to normal, it's going to make everything heal up a little faster. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, you know, I think you know, the cool thing that I think golf had, you know, was kind of an innovator in that whole process. They they kind of took the necessary steps, you know, whether it be a, you know, a public facilities or whatever stayed on, but the PGA Tour, I mean, they got back to playing. They mm-hmm. created a schedule we can play without fans. Mm-hmm. You know, I went down and helped out with the World Golf Championship in Memphis and you know, it was weird not not having fans or grandstands, but the golf was, you know, the golf course was fine. And it was fun. They had it, you know, and, and I, think that, I, I think that golf kind of got people, you know, the more interest in it and like, mm-hmm. hey, these people are, you know, doing something about getting out and, and promoting, you know, not just sitting around. And, not, and, and I, I really think that our industry was a leader in a
1: lot of that. Absolutely. And it
0: was nice to see.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because you know, every I can tell you, every public golf course uh, I've stopped into this year, and I haven't played a lot myself, but it seems like all the public courses are just jam packed. So, I think uh, golf needs a little shot in the arm. So, yep. it's, uh, we're lucky we're in an industry that that uh, wasn't affected maybe as uh, as much as yep. others, and probably positively affected maybe at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So, are you seeing uh, seeing pretty much the same kind of scenarios across the board as you're traveling?
1: Yeah, and uh, the folks I've talked to, the private courses, you know, of course, they, they have the constant revenue stream coming in from dues, yeah. but they're, you know, those superintendents are going to face challenges, I think, just from compaction and, and extra carts and foot traffic out there this year. Um, they haven't maybe uh, increased the number of rounds, but just the number of carts and, and, and foot traffic is probably higher this year, Yeah, and it's probably also hurt their, their revenue from bringing in waiting events and things like that that they typically do, so... On the flip side, I think the public courses are probably having just a fantastic year for the most part if they didn't close up uh, from the COVID initially.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, out here is just a prime example. They didn't slow down. You know, the thing that was difficult to gauge was the cart issue. You know, mm-hmm. everybody needing, you know, wanting to be in their own cart. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think one day they told me they have, they have like 50 carts here um, standard. And there was 47 golfers on the golf course. And like forty-eight cards were out. Wow. I mean, it was like you know, it's like everybody had their own golf cart. I mean, it's just hard to. That's just hard to manage because that's not really a full golf course. I mean, right. you need, and so you got people waiting around and trying to figure out how to do that. But you know, they manage, and I mean, I, it's, I tell everybody, it's like a Saturday, Sunday out here every day. I mean, they're just, mm-hmm. and, and they're definitely doing better. And I, I think you're right. The public golf is, that have remained open has really done well, and that's good. You know, I mean, I yeah. think it's good for our industry.
1: One thing I'm curious to see, uh, numbers from the National Golf Foundation at the end of the year, uh, I'm curious to know if all these new rounds have uh, been played, how many new golfers are we bringing into the industry this year. Um, and I'm hoping that we're seeing maybe 15 20% of uh, uh, players this year maybe starting to play for the first time. And, and uh, once you catch that bug, you know, yeah. anyone that plays the golf, the game knows that if you hit a couple good shots, that's what keeps you coming back.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I... I, I I also help out at Harper Valley Golf Center which is a driving range practice facility. Mm-hmm. Got a nine hole par three and it's massively done well in terms of people being out there hitting balls and I have to believe that there's some percentage I don't know the numbers so I won't say anything but there's a like vast number of those people are people that have sat around and hadn't played golf in a while mm-hmm. or they haven't played ever mm-hmm. and they just come out and they start playing you know uh, because that was really the about all they could do. I mean mm-hmm. and in you know, I've said, you know, getting outdoors and spending time outside playing golf or whatever it might be that's an outdoor activity and just doing things around the home, I've been, that's what people have been kind of doing now. Mm-hmm. And those are the activities that people are, you can see that with, you know, I know people in the home business are building pools and they're putting outdoor, you know, vents areas and, mm-hmm. and so, and then you, you see golf courses just covered up. I mean, that's, that's the thing.
1: Yeah. And it'd be really cool to see, you know, we're looking out here today and we're seeing kind of a mixture of, you know, twenties 20 year olds and maybe some older folks out here. But uh, uh, especially the 20, 30 year old segment that maybe uh, hadn't played golf a lot or, you know, maybe uh, our generation accuses them of being on their, their phones all the all, time. All the time. It'd be it'd be great to see uh, them start to take up the game and, and get an interest in it long term.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think you're seeing that. I mean, um, I, you know, it, it. we'll see. I think time will tell as far as people sticking through it and once everything kind of does get back to normal and levels out a little bit whether it'll kind of you'll see that across our industry but maybe yep. not we'll see well i don't know it'll, it'll be interesting to find yeah. out yes sir so um let's talk a little bit about your, your what you're doing and and uh, kind of your products and some of the things uh and you know i i don't I don't get paid by anybody. Nobody. So you're free to talk about you know products, your products, and, and we can do whatever. But I'm I'm interested to in kind of what's new in the industry, what kind of things are you're you're talking about seeing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are some of the things that you're you're talking to people about these days? So I don't really have an initial question, but just kind of like start with maybe what's kind of something you're seeing or or new that's out there that you yeah. guys are promoting and doing.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we've uh, for a long time have not had at Syngenta really. Uh, economically priced large patch product for, for zoise patch and rhizoctonia and, and uh, brown patch and yep. tail So this year we uh, are launching a new product called Acernity, which is uh, two chemistries. It's uh, solatinol, is the active ingredient, which is an SDHI mode of action, and then diphenconazole, which is in our brisk way, uh, cooling DMI, are added together. And uh, that product has provided excellent control at the University of Arkansas, where uh, Dr. Richardson does a great job up there of, of uh, creating pressure in the plots uh, every year and he kind of artificially generates it, but uh, it's a good comparison of, of true new chemistries to see how they hold up against that onslaught of Rhizactoni he puts sure. in them. And uh, so yeah, we're, we're competitively priced with that product in around $140 an acre. Uh, traditionally the products have been double that from Syngena uh, with assurance programs included and we're actually seeing some situations where we're seeing 45 days residual out of the product and for anybody that's ever grown zoysia, that's a big deal because uh, you want to get as much bang for your buck for every time you go out there to spray. Right. And uh, you don't want to be out there every two or three weeks spraying, you know, uh, maybe a cheaper chemistry and having to reapply more often. So,
0: What is the recommendation on that product?
1: Right now, the, the current label, uh, you know, in the EPA states 30 days, and we're, we're putting that out at one ounce per thousand. But uh, in a couple oh, of test wow. sites, where yeah. we've seen extended residuals up to 45 days. So yeah. we're excited about that.
0: Well, it's huge around this part, you know these parts, especially with a lot the, zo- the amount of zoysia we got, and you know, um, yeah, you can definitely try to get into that. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how, I, you know, I, I get to see a lot of the newer zoysias, but I don't spend a lot of time managing them anymore. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if it's if if they're as susceptible or more. How, how do yeah. you see that?
1: Yeah, any of the uh, the metrella type zoysia grasses or you know, Cavaliers, those kind of things, they're definitely more susceptible to large patch and spring dead spot, for that matter. Yeah. Um, but especially large patch, so where the old mire, even though it's, uh, maybe the texture's not quite as fine as some of the newer ones, it tends to hold up against the disease better. Yeah.
0: Now, is it is it labeled also for spring dead spot or, or no? Uh,
1: yeah, it does. It, you know, we have other products like uh, Posterity that came out a couple of years ago that are uh, a little stronger on spring dead spot in particular, and that's a different, different chemistry. And uh, one of the things I've been teaching my distributors a lot in the last couple of weeks is... Um, an umbrella of new Posterity brand products, Posterity Forte and Posterity XT. So uh, they're actually a combination of um, the the Posterity itself combined with Heritage and Banner Max and in different ratios. So uh, for the Forte, it's geared for the Bermuda grass golf courses for spring dead spot control okay. and take all rip rot control, which has been a big issue with the last several years around Nashville, uh, going after Bermuda decline and take all rit rot. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of cycled through a little bit. It's not as big of an issue as it was a couple of years ago, but uh, probably eight or nine higher-end country clubs in the city had had issues with that take-all yeah. problem. And uh, so, by rotating different modes of action in there, I think we've we've kind of uh, overcame that. as long as uh, and also as, also coming up with uh, pH reduction issues in the soil to to reduce the pH, I think reduce the incidence of disease too.
0: Yeah one of the products that i was i'm super excited yeah. about maybe you can talk about it a little bit is the, um, is, um, may wait till he announces another group but um is the uh, the the action portion of you know like dacanil action or heritage action i i um i know there's this is a this has been something that's not new but talk a little bit about how that has come about because I definitely think there's a, a positive impact with that product and using that product. And if somebody's not using it, why they might consider that.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you, this this may get into a long, drawn-out story going back to my days at Iowa State in 1989. It's all right. We got time. But it kind of all ties together. Um, so uh, what you're referring to is uh, acybenzalar, S-methyl. It's a new additive. Yeah, I'll let you pronounce that. Yeah. <laughs> we just call it ASM for short. Yeah. But um Uh, What it is 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 classified as a plant activator. So for those not in the turf business or kind of listening in, we have different categories of uh, chemistries. We have insecticides, fungicides, and so on. Well, So the plant activator is its own new classic chemistry um, or plant category. And similar to how a flu shot works, when we go to get a flu shot in the fall, uh, we're, we're injected with a weak strain of flu virus and the antibodies kick in and our um, defense system kicks in in our, in our body so that hopefully by the time December or January gets here and the rough winter gets here, our bodies are already uh, in self-defense mode and able to sure. hold off these things. So it, in a similar way, that's what us really does is it actually strengthens uh, proteins within the, the plant to help the plant defend itself. Ironically, um, when I was at Iowa State, um, I was working with Dr. Hodges in my freshman year, and uh, we had a sample from Cedar Rapids Country Club sent in, and he had me under the microscope looking at it, and it was anthracnose on bentgrass. Of course, I hadn't had my first t- turf class yet, let alone pathology, so I had no idea what I was really looking at, and he was trying to teach me. <laughs> so I'm looking at this, and he said, Sean, what do you see under there? And, and I say, some purple stuff on the, on the bentgrass? And he's like, yeah. He goes, do you know what that is? And I, I'm like, sir, sir, I have no idea. He goes, well, that's anthracnose. And he goes, look real close around where that that fruiting body landed on the turf, and there's, what do you see? And there was actually a dead ring of cells right around where that fruiting body landed on on there. And he goes, what do you think that is? And I said, I don't know, the fungus killing the turf? He goes, no. He goes, that's actually the the plant's self-defense system kicking in, and it's walling off and killing the cells around where the, the fungus landed so it doesn't spread throughout the rest of the plant. And I got real excited as a freshman. I'm thinking, that's awesome. You know, we don't, you know, this is going to keep superintendents from having to use chemicals and stuff to treat this stuff. And he goes, hold on, wait. (laughs) He said, what's what's happening is we're mowing this grass at such a low height. We're putting so much stress on it that, you know, yards and lawns don't get foot traffic and everything else. And the heat and humidity are are hitting it so hard all at once that even though it does have a self defense system, the plant's going to die anyway. And so I kind of got, you know, uh, saddened by that and deflated by that, but I always remembered that story because here 20 years later, I'm working for Syngenta, we, we launched this in 2011, and what we didn't know back in 1989 was that we could trigger that defense system to work uh, kind of artificially where, where Mother Nature it kicks in at the last minute and it doesn't really do any good. But what we kind of learned over 25 or 30 years is that we could actually uh, fool that plant into thinking it was under stress attack two or three months before it actually is by inducing the, the acetaminzalur into the plant or yeah. introducing it to it. And over that two or three month time period before the stress hits, uh, that plant has enough time to, to increase its proteins and, and withstand the onslaught of disease once it does come.
0: Yeah. And that's what's fascinating about it is is that um, the parallels to all the, how all this kind of works and how you... you you find something out or or develop something, because I'm I'm a big believer in in the health. I mean, just like your body, you want to do what's best. If you eat junk, you're not going to feel as good as if you eat healthy. Yep. And the same thing with this living, breathing organism that we're mowing short, like you described. I mean, we do we manipulate it so much, and it's mm-hmm. under so much pressure that you want to kind of provide it with the best fuel possible and the best you know. And so, you know, why this you know the product like Action that's just added to other you know, to, I don't know if it, been, if it's a, I don't know what the relationship with the fungicide actually is, but in terms yeah. of being helpful in, in the turf, I, yeah, you know, well, I'm not smart enough to know all the other stuff, but I know that it's got to be helpful.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely does. And being a plant activator, one of the definitions of a plant activator is it cannot have any fungicidal properties. So the interesting thing is, if you put uh, get a petri dish of Pythium or anything, and you put asperbenzolor in it, it won't kill it. But if you introduce the, the acylbenzylord to turf plots, and that's what uh, Dr. Fry found at Kansas State in 2003, he was the first to kind of discover this. He said if you can introduce the uh, acylbenzylord to the turf ahead of the disease being introduced, you'll allow that turf to defend itself from getting it. So while it doesn't have a direct effect on the fungis, funguses, uh, and that's why we combine it with a fungicide like Daconil. Yeah. Uh, it, d- it definitely can have a preventative aspect where you can you can uh, allow that turf to defend itself two or three months ahead of the stress.
0: So I'm assuming there's no, I guess, consideration for selling it by itself, or do you sell it by itself?
1: Uh, no, we don't. Uh, it goes out at such low doses that the fear of overdose is really a, an issue, okay. um, so there's not a whole lot of you know, of actual AI in the jug with Dacnal Action, but we're trying to control that and meter it so that superintendents don't overdose on it. It's like yeah. uh, for people that may not be superintendents, you know, it goes back to the old adage that two aspirin are great for you, the whole bottle can kill you. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, there, there's a balance with everything and Mother Nature, but uh, so that's that's one way that we can kind of differentiate our line too and, yeah. and keep superintendents safe. In fact, when we launched the park in 2011, um, we thought that there might be a detrimental effect by putting out too much during the year that that it might reach a breaking point where it actually uh, keeps the turf or allows the turf to expend too much energy but that hasn't been the case so uh, that's just a key difference of how different crops work between agriculture and turf. Sure
0: one of my favorite uh, jokes are you familiar with Cat Williams? Mm-hmm. You know, the comedian Cat Williams, he, he tells this story, and I'm, a, I'll clean it up for most of it. He said he was talking about drugs in general, and he's like, aspirin is perfectly legal, but if you take thirteen of them, that'll be your last headache. <laughs>
1: that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's just dirt nap. It is. I mean, it's just funny how all this stuff kind of works, you know, and yeah. the side effects of it, and and you know, it's not you thinking that something's good for you, you could over, actually
1: overdose on it. That, Boy, that's that's. If if there's young superintendents or turf students out there, that's the key thing, you know, to remember everything in moderation in this industry because uh, too much of anything, too much water can be a problem, you know, and most people wouldn't think that uh, if they're not in the turf industry, but... uh, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's...
0: So, has there ever been a case where anybody's seen symptoms or had anything, issues with over-application of the action?
1: No, uh, not so far. We, from our agricultural side of the uh, coin, uh, you know, dealing with dicotyl... Plants. Uh, th- there has been evidence of that, and that's why we were kind of cautious about it when we launched it in turf, is we thought if we got too much out there, it could cause issues, but uh, we haven't seen that. In fact, we, we've even doubled up uh, the number of applications of action products by, say, combining Daconil Action with Heritage Action and getting a, a 2x rate out there, and uh, it's actually done nothing but give a turf benefits in terms yeah. of recovering from stress events like yeah. uh, aeration or from verticutting it actually helps the plant bounce back faster. Yeah. It also has a direct effect on uh, water conservation in the plant. Um, there's been work done by uh, Tom Rufty from NC State and both in uh, his trials in South Carolina and Arizona where he's shown over a season that uh, bentgrass plants can conserve anywhere from 10 to 30% of water over the year, yeah. a year's time, and that's a big issue out west where they're paying for water in Arizona.
0: For sure. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a, I mean we, it's a whole another podcast when you got to talk about water conservation and yeah.
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah, that Spenserlar is a really cool product, and there's so many benefits. I could go on yeah. and on about it. But uh, now, how
0: many products is that uh, actually in? I know Dak and, Neil and Heritage. Is there? Yeah, Secure Action also oh, really? has
1: it now, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we're working with other it. potential, uh, okay. you know, combinations. And you know, I'd I'd personally like to see it come out in in Primo on fairways because I think it could benefit there where we're pumping a lot of water uh if we can even reduce the water conservation by by spraying that with rainbow i think it'd be a big benefit
0: maybe onto something there i like that i like it
1: (laughs) there's a lot of (laughs) a lot of us in general waiting for more products to come out with that that ai in it for sure
0: yeah well i i know there was a there was a kind of a a stagnant portion portion of the of the where not a lot was being developed yes i should i don't know where what, how else to say it other than mm-hmm. so they were combining a lot of products mm-hmm. a lot of products y'all were you already had banner and you were putting it with you know whatever else and mm-hmm. making a comp- talk about that and and, and is there now uh, kind of a push towards some new chemistries out
1: yeah great great point um i think especially in the herbicide segment of the marketplace um, once the roundup resistant technologies hit agriculture in the 1990s and and farmers in general basically started using Roundup to control all their weeds in agriculture, the impetus to bring out new herbicides to the market that uh, affect us in agriculture and turf was kind of slowed down through the early 2000s. And yeah. so it takes you know, many, many years to get a product uh, developed and through the EPA. And so I think that's where the biggest uh, loss was in, in terms of bringing new chemistry to market was in the herbicides. To your point on the fungicides, um, you know that the average cost to get a product through the epa today is about 232 million dollars per active. jesus so that's what that's what companies like Syngenta and bsf and bear have to pay the epa on average to get a single product uh tested into market so where does that money go um mostly to environmental and toxicology testing is okay. my understanding and uh, all kinds of safety tests on trees and things like that you know so um so interestingly enough, that's you know we have to make sure that uh, a product not only works and functions as it's supposed to, but is safe to the environment. And uh, I think that's where the industry has really come a long way in the last 30 years. Is you know, 30 years ago, did it work on the on the pest and kind of the environment was maybe uh, a secondary consideration. Where today, yeah. it's probably the primary consideration.
0: So. Yeah. Well, and
1: that and that that's a
0: tribute to us being leaders in environmental stewardship and yes. you know and. You know, what we're doing as a golf course, as a sports turf or, you know, lawn care company. We're, you know, we're conscious of those, you know, things because we don't we don't want one bad thing to happen. And, you know, and so it's been a push by everybody. But I think we're, you know, I I would I would say we're as big a leader in environmental stewardship as anybody.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, You know, I I can certainly tell you I didn't get in this industry to do anything to harm the environment. It's just the, the opposite effect, if anything. But, uh, yeah, and to answer your question about the new active ingredients uh, hitting the market, yeah, in the last uh, several years, we've had several new active ingredients hit the turf market, and uh, SDHI chemistries uh, like Posterity and Vallista have hit, Um, and uh, even the new Slatinol chemistry that's in our acernity right now is a a brand new one, so uh, this is a big year. It tends to come in cycles of maybe three or four every five years, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing now. Which one are you most excited about? Oh, boy. Uh, I would say Acernity is the big one. And uh, we're also next year looking to have a new product uh, called Mural come out that's got solatinol with heritage. And that'll be available to the lawn care market as well as golf. Like all all the products I mentioned earlier were just golf-labeled products. But that will be a big... big, uh, chemistry into the lawn care market. Uh,
0: um, not only cause it's a really effective
1: product, but it, it's very cost effective as well. Yeah.
0: How much of the generic market affected you or how much do you play a, a role or does that, is that something you have to really consider? Cause you sell mostly branded products through Syngenta, yep. but talk a little bit about how you work within the generic market.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, as a, as a company that helps develop new chemistries, uh, To give you an idea, and again, I didn't know this until I joined Syngenta, so I'll maybe share some information I didn't know until I joined our company. But um, So say Syngenta develops a new active ingredient and we submit it to the EPA. Well, that clock on our 20-year patent protection actually starts ticking right when we hand it to them. And they may take eight years to actually approve it. So in reality, we have that $232 million bill that we have to recover from the EPA, and instead of having 20 years to recoup it, we only have maybe 12. Sure. So, um, so it's, we have to be really, really careful and really sure of what we, we bring to market. So as our products come off, um, off patent, one thing I didn't understand as a superintendent was, as an example, Barricade. Uh, you know, Before Barricade came off patent, it was probably selling for $25 a pound, $30 a pound, somewhere in that, in that range. And um, one of the things that uh, the courts have decided in other industries, similar to, to ours, is that if we were to um, suddenly take a product that just went off patent and lower the product from $25, say, down to, to $10 a pound, uh, that would dr- drive away generic competition because they wouldn't be able to compete at that point. And, right. and so it, it's kind of a balance that we have to play after our product goes off patent. We, we can defend our own active ingredient. By you know, working with our customers and asking them, hey, you know, we can match prices on this, but we cannot go out and set the price low and drive away competition that, and keep generics from, from being uh, thriving as companies. Right. So it's a balance we have to play, and um, and I understand. You know, I, I'm pro business and all that. So uh, it, healthy competition is a good thing. It's just uh, you know we're we're out with a different model than they are, and. Uh, you know the other the other key thing is that the, the inert ingredients that we use in our products um, are always considered first to make sure that the active ingredient performs as it should, and also from a safety standpoint, doesn't give side effects to the turf that we're trying to right. keep healthy. And and um, that is a consideration amongst generics; they could potentially switch around some some inert ingredients and make it cheaper uh, because they're competing with other generic companies on price. So, right. Uh, I, honestly, I I really don't try to compare my products to theirs. I just try to stress the benefits of my products and what they can do. Right. Because there, there are differences. A, a certainty, for example, if, you know, if it turns out to last 45 days, that's a huge advantage uh, yeah. to that chemistry. So well,
0: I think that's the point that I, that I, you know, especially with younger superintendents and they have all these different options and people just in general is they got to understand the difference between these products. There's not just that the, yeah, the AI might be the same mm-hmm. or, technically the same Mm -hmm. but it's a lot more to it than that yes and and, you know aside from the product support and some of the other things it's what's in what you're actually spraying and what it's causing to happen yeah and I think that's that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit sometimes when you think well I'm just going to spray chlorothalonil and it's I can get it for this whereas daconil I I mean it's higher you know Mm -hmm. and it but there's, there's a reason why that's that way. And, and, yeah. and you just got to understand that. And, you know, some, yeah, I get it. Budgets are difficult and tight and people got to justify and does it work? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it probably works, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I know it works. I mean, I've used them, but i mean at the same time. It's like, how do you explain and when, you know, especially from someone who's selling them that they're, the product does react or can be a, a different, you get a different benefit by using this product versus that one.
1: Yeah, and I kind of look at an analogy that I personally have, you know, if you're having the headaches from the car accident, (laughs) uh, Advil. You know, for whatever reason, from my personal history, if I use Advil, I know that there's generics uh, that have the same amount of active ingredient in them, but they have a different carrier in them. And so I believe that the Advil Inerts help the product get into my bloodstream better, and, and they're more effective because of that reason. Where maybe there's clay-based carriers and stuff, in generic Advil that just doesn't get in my bloodstream and work as well. Yeah, do
0: they, I, th- you know. I definitely think the Advil is a good analogy because they're they're the, how however their coating works or however that's that's it's I mean you know I, and I think it's ibuprofen, but I it, you mm-hmm. know you can have stomach issues and yes. things like that with that. Yep. But for some reason, you know, I'm like you, the Advil is not as you know, noticeable, or yes. I don't have his issue. Whereas a generic ibuprofen, I mean, that's the kind of a, if you're kind of trying to figure this thing out. There's two same active ingredients, but they're packaged and formulated differently. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I could make a comment about that from my early superintendent days when I was in Pella. I remember um, I was using a, an old Syngenta product then, just Subdue before it became Subdue Max. And so back in those days, it was a 99 degree day, and I'm out spraying for Pythium on bentgrass, and I'm using a uh, product that's got an oil-based carrier in it, same as our ag product did. Yeah. And you know, I'm trying to go after Pythium. Well, what happens if your pump station broke down, which mine did a lot <laughs> from issues, and suddenly you got an oil sitting out on your leaf tissue on a 95 degree a day, just sizzling. Yeah. And you end up getting tip burn. So those are the kind of things that. Uh, ngen has improved over time. They took a look at their own cells in the mirror and, and that 's where these max formulations were developed uh, so subdued max and primo max anytime you see that max formulation it's a water based carrier yeah that that doesn 't cause those side effects
0: yeah and that in uh, the um, pack, uh the primo mm-hmm. uh, active ingredient is always a curious one because that was mm-hmm. that was the one. <laughs> it may not have been the first one that came off patent but but it was the one that everybody was like man this thing's expensive I can get away from it and I can still use it but it was always that max formulation about how you know that was different than what was I was going to use for generics, and mm-hmm. and so I was just curious how that actually came about and some of the things. But you kind of answered, you know, the the difference there and, and the safeness of it and how it reacts to the plant and things like that. I mean, you know, uh, that that's another example of things how how things can be put together differently.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and that's I think as the company grew over time, they realized that hey, we we need uh, different formulations for the turf market than we do for corn and soybeans
0: yeah well there's no doubt about that i mean you know everything comes from the farming market though i mean that's i mean most of it most does, of yeah. it does i mean you yeah. know it's a it's kind of i mean it's a lot bigger i would say you you could probably back me up on what the actual numbers are but i would say that st is more interested in the farming in the aspect of it than the than the little old golf turf ornamentals
1: well, I don't know if uh, our division would agree with that, but yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. It's, well, uh, we, the probably... point
0: is is that, I mean, it's a much larger acreage yeah. and much larger use size yes. than our little small. To, to your world. point,
1: we probably only comprise about 5% of our company's revenues, but yeah. but they still consider us a very, you know, in Basel, Switzerland, where our headquarters are, they consider yeah. us a huge uh, well, they haven't, benefit. Well, they haven't
0: canceled you, so no. Yeah. You're, you're not going away anytime soon. No, it's hopefully, just, not. hopefully yeah. not. Well, um, you know, I... I one of the things that always intrigues me is, you know, and you touched on it with your conversation with Lane, is like how do you, how do people uh, – because, you know, we're in middle Tennessee and, you know, we have different issues that we deal with here than, say, someone in Florida or out west, whatever. So – Kind of talk a little bit about how someone who would put together a say, a greens fungicide package, you know what their your products can do, or what are some of the resources that they can you know look to you guys to have to to maybe help and if they're if they're looking for something like that?
1: Yeah, well, uh, lean Treadway is just a huge asset to us. Um, he did his work and was a professor at nc state which is also in the transition zone
0: is he working for y'all now yeah he's our tech
1: he's my tech manager for the southeast u.s so might have to have him on at some point yeah he would love to yeah but uh lane's just awesome because he he's so intelligent Uh, but he grew up the son of a superintendent up in pittsburgh pennsylvania so he's one of those rare people that uh, he's just brilliant and could talk to other professors in their lingo and then come to us and talk to us in everyday language and get the point across Um, but uh and he's lived it like i say he grew up on a golf course but uh the great cool thing with him is that you know he's always continually trying to teach us uh southeast reps in the syngenta company about what he's learning what he hears from other professors and at the end of the day it's it's just about relationships and, and communication and uh he's he's soaking all this up uh from everyone he hears and he just passes on that knowledge to us. And yeah. so that that's what's fun for me again is, is not to be a salesperson. I I don't classify myself as a salesperson. I hope I don't come across that way to anybody I meet, but uh I just I just like to take the knowledge of smart people like him, pass it on and try to help people at the end of the day. Yeah. So kinda of to
0: back to my question, I didn't mean to get sidetracked on that is like you know, when you're putting your fungicide mm-hmm. um programs together what are some of the things that people can, you know, how how would you tell them to approach it, or do you do you get into involved in helping them, or do you,
1: yeah,
0: or are you just coming in as you know to support a particular product?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, I didn't. That's all right.
0: Uh, I'm steering you throw, back in, man. Yeah, I'm you gotta you steer me. I that's kind right. Of like
1: herding cats over
0: here. You're watching all these golfers play. I know that's what it is.
1: Yeah, no, but uh, well, the cool thing is that uh, NC State and Clemson, in particular, uh, out close to where Lane lives and works, uh, do a lot of Actual fungicide studies on golf course turf, so they're they're not cutting it at a quarter inch; they're cutting you know these greens down at the actual height of cut that, that we're going to see in real life. Yeah. So um, a lot of work is done, you know, through R and D development out out in North Carolina, and that's where most of the testing is done. Uh, occasionally, we'll get our hands on it here in in Tennessee if it's something that uh, is maybe a little bit more of a rush to market, like our manuscript herbicide came out a couple of years ago. Uh, the EPA kind of gave us a green light on that to get it tested, so so we did some field testing. But at the end of the day, it's really Lane's work. Um, you know, uncovering the differences too. Like if you were to talk to us, for instance, in twenty years ago, we used to think that brown patch was just one disease. Well, now we know different rhizoctonia solanides affect warm season grass than cool season grass, and they're called different things. One's brown patch on cool season and one's large patch on on warm. That's just a prime example of uh, the things we learn through technology and, um, you know, the, the microscopes are getting uh, more high-tech all the time and we're un- uncovering things that, that we thought were one disease and now they're four or five.
0: Yeah. And that's always the challenge with putting something together and trying to manage this thing is you're always... Something's always new or something's around the corner or you yeah. got some issue. I mean, you know, Mother Nature's a finicky thing. You know, it's just...
1: Yeah. And also, I think it goes back to... Um, just where we are as an industry, as well, is because um, we, in 30 years ago, we would we would come out with these broad-based insecticides, for instance, that would wipe every insect off the planet. For the, you know, <laughs> yeah. The, now, now we're targeting specific things more, uh, that are, that are also safe to the environment, and so, um, a, as we rotate these different chemistries, I think there's always unknowns that, uh, you know, we, we're, we're targeting rhizoctonia salani and there's another Rhizoctonia zea that we didn't know about 20 years ago that's, that's reared its ugly head on mini yeah. verdies And uh, now we have to combat that. So so the chemistries definitely have their strengths against each disease that we go after. And and then as we bring new turf types to market like Champion and Mini-Verdi, uh, we, d- we didn't have a lot of knowledge when they were brought to market about what diseases they were gonna get. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was kind of, you know, learning on a fast track when 2008, 2000, or even before then, 2003. Yeah. Uh, when champion hit the market
0: that that's a that's an interesting point because i'm uh i'm been on this sort of kick about the zoysia grass green uh and for greens Mm -hmm. and and you know it's one thing that we're mowing i mean there's it one it's separate varieties of grasses and and there's not anything that's i mean they're they're in product development there's courses that have them but so new you know what are we going to be looking at from a disease pressure standpoint, mm-hmm. and is there going to be something that we haven't seen before, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had
0: any experience with zoysia grass greens at all?
1: Uh, not outside of anything that, uh, you know, I know uh, the Vanderbilt Legends Club had a few, uh, a punny green over at the Little Course a few years ago and had, had three or four varieties in yeah. there. But uh, so far in my territory, I, I don't see it yet. Uh, but it is an exciting, you know, development. And I, the thing with zoysia grass, I kind of wonder about is because – it's slower growing than Bermuda grass. If you get in a high traffic environment like a public golf course, is it gonna, is it going recover from foot traffic and so on as well as Bermuda will? Yeah. You know, and can, so we can't really over-fertilize Zoysia in the summer months like we can Bermuda and get it growing. So, yeah. Uh, but I think it's on the on the flip side. I think it's uh, there's a lot of promise there, especially uh, the fact that Zoysia tolerates the cold winters and the warm summers
0: yeah. really well. I, I think there's still a lot of. Um, question marks that i would say uh you know the biggest being establishment and recovery and some of those types of things that are obvious but i mean i've seen some zoysia grass greens that if you didn't know any better you you could pass them off as you know something completely different bent grass or whatever mm-hmm. i mean i mm-hmm. it just blow your mind and, and i know that is doing a lot of testing right. up there they've got some of the new varieties and we're actually looking at maybe doing some testing over at the Little Course, or, or not not the Little Course, but Harper Valley mm. on uh, some zoysia. Because the application, kind of what you mentioned, is, is if you don't have, and I'm not suggesting you don't cover them, but you have a little bit more of a leeway, leeway yes. uh, uh, for the harsh winters. And, you know, I uh, still think you need to cover them, but I, uh, from a standpoint of, um, you know, what you can tolerate, it's got some feasibility for low-budget, low-end courses, not to say that a high-end golf course couldn't have zoysia grass greens. It's just I don't. There's you know it's you just got to apply and see what you know what you're doing and and how what your quality of putting want to be like, mm-hmm. and do you have the time to take to establish them? Uh, those types of things still are kind of up in the air.
1: Yeah, but I think your your point about uh, I'm sure there's a variety out there that is more coal tar, and if you can save a golf course from having to buy covers and, and that labor and time to uncover it all the time, uh, that could be huge for the yeah. golf industry.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I never get I never go out on that limb and say that I would, you know, being a turf grass manager consultant that I would recommend that, but I think I think there's some validity to. Having zoysia grass put it a little bit more, uh, you know, stress and and seeing what it can do, sure. and you know, because obviously if we, you know, we get down to zero for a couple of days, not much is living anyways, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it might have some, it might have some sustainability and some recovery that Bermuda grass wouldn't if it wasn't covered. Exactly. But you know, it's it. I think all that's curious, and you know, and just like anything in our business, everything is moving. It's so fluid. Yeah. You know, grasses are changing. You know, it's almost crazy to think that. You know, every time you turn around, there's a new Bermuda grass or a new zoysia, and it's almost a lot mind-boggling sometimes. And mm-hmm. for people who sell, you know, new chemistries and, and different things that are sort of there to protect it, that's got to be just as frustrating to, to kind of keep up with all that. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It's, uh, it makes it challenging. It's a lot more than uh, just mowing grass, you yeah. know, like a lot of people think that uh, our industry professionals do. Yeah. I, I don't think we have to be rocket scientists to be in this industry, but you no. have to definitely be on your toes and be very aware of of new things coming to market and and new developments all the time
0: yeah well man i've taken enough of your time and i and i've enjoyed uh chatting with you and uh you know usually before i let you i I go i I usually like to talk about some of the things you like to do outside of work and all i know you've got a new uh child talk about your family a little bit and what what's some of the things that you uh enjoy doing when you're not uh running around the southeast
1: yeah well i'm Definitely a proud dad. Uh, certainly didn't think I was going to be 48 when I had my first son, uh, but that's kind of the way it worked out. Uh, my wife and I got married at an older age and uh, had a little difficulty having a child, and finally got uh, Connor born here in 2017. So he's the light of our life and yeah. just a just a phenomenal little guy. Um, so my time, you know, is going to be uh, is being spent with him, just learning t ball and those kind of things. Uh, I am definitely a huge college football fan, so I try to get back to Iowa and see my family and friends back there and yep. go to Iowa State for a couple games a year. And then uh loved to spring t- turkey hunt and got a little lease down in uh, Giles County near Pulaski. Okay. That I go to every year, and that's kind of my solitude, getaway kind of place for yep. a while. And, and loved going down there, too, to, to deer hunt and turkey hunt.
0: Yeah. Now, do you have? Um, this is going to sound like a crazy question because you know, in, in our industry around here, I mean, kind of the winters are kind of slower. Mm-hmm. Do you have a slow season per se? I mean, you kind of follow our same Patterson pattern, being that you're in our same area.
1: Yeah, I would say I would say that uh, December, uh, January, February You know, we have some trade shows to go to in the winter, but uh, yeah. those three months in particular, we can kind of recharge a little bit, and then once uh, once March, April comes, that's when. I mean, grass starts growing again that's when things pick up again for yeah. us so definitely for us in the in the sales side of things especially of us that have early order and really it starts in august september and october just it's kind of like a cpa's time i guess in april it's yeah. uh, it's pretty intense
0: yeah we didn't even talk about the early order uh, i mean i'm sure that's a that's a really crazy time for you
1: yeah it's fun. it's it's uh it's different than being a superintendent um but, yeah, just trying to get all our distributors up up to speed on the, not only the marketing programs but the new products and teaching them uh, what they need to know to go out and communicate it properly is uh, the biggest thing. And then following up with our key customers during that same time to make yeah. sure that uh, they're aware of the, the purchase opportunities they've got.
0: Yep. One of the downsides of all this craziness that we've been experiencing in the world is our um, associations and conferences and shows and yeah. things. How, do, how does that, I mean, from a from a financial situation, it's probably not hurt Syngenta to not have to be doing some of these things or mm. sponsoring. I'm sure they still do in some form or fashion, but yeah. how has that impacted you guys from, you know, being involved in some of these things that, you know, are a big part of, you know, getting out there and being seen?
1: Yeah, no, we definitely are still supporting, uh, even the visual conferences and things okay. like that. And, uh, uh, we did have our budgets cut quite considerably because you know the lack of travel for the for the summer yeah. but uh you know wherever possible I try to support local associations the best i can and, yeah. and help out there
0: so i'm 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 worried that if it goes away that it's never coming back and i don't mm-hmm. i don't like that because i I think a big part i 'm a big believer in um getting around people that are like minded yes. you know your peers talking to people hearing new information being in front of people and yeah i mean yeah it's great i think i think we can um use the virtual zooms and facetimes and things like that as a tool Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm worried that it's going to draw people away from that and they're just going to see no benefit of it
1: i I don't know if that
0: happens i I hate to be debbie downer like towards the end of this podcast but i'm i mean i'm just seeing that Participation is always iffy anyways, especially around here, mm-hmm. um, whether that, you know, if it goes to online or s- some on-demand situation that uh, they'll just choose to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I'm concerned about the same thing. I You know, at the end of the day, it's about relationships in this industry, and uh, yeah, like you say, a Zoom call is one thing, but uh, when you're around people and you can hang with them and have dinner and have lunch and, and joke around a little bit and, and talk turf, I think uh it's just a great industry to be in, as, as you know. And it's all about the relationships and having that interpersonal, going out and seeing the Greens personally. Uh, I, I, I think in our, from my perspective, I, I can see maybe a couple of Zoom meetings being used throughout the year for distributor meetings, but I hope it doesn't affect our end-user uh, relationships and, and contact that we have with them.
0: Yeah, I'm, I am I totally 100% agree, and I, I, kind of what I brought up why I wanted to bring it up is just, you know, um, I love the idea of being around people. I just think yeah. it's, it's about the relationships. Like you said, it's about getting to know people. It's about talking to them yeah. and you just can't always do that on a zoom call or, yeah. you know, uh, even, even, you know, now that we've gone texting and so many informal things, it's, you know, it's, I just think that's one, it's the product of the environment we're in now. Mm-hmm. And, and then the act, the, the fact that people are, have come up now with iPhones and, it's a totally different world, you know. Yeah. You'll, you'll, your son won't know anything about uh, not having phones and things like that, and everything will oh, be he, normal.
1: He'll know about not having a phone. He may not get one <laughs> until he's sixteen. But. Well,
0: you say that now, but <laughs>
1: trust me, I've raised three kids.
0: I, I, I know different. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just crazy to think that you know I have to adjust, and you can't be an old curmudgeon, of, you know, about it. And, and, yeah. but at the same time. There's nothing better than picking up the phone or or being in person or or listening to someone talk, yeah, uh, and having the ability to ask questions. And that, you know, I've learned, you know, it didn't really wasn't really eye opening to me until I started sitting around having one on one in person conversation versus trying to do maybe someone on on a, a Zoom or a virtual uh, you know podcast. Yeah, it's great to talk to them, and it opens up doors maybe to someone who can't be around, but. It, it's still, there's still a level of, you know, uncertainty and still a level of, you know, it, are they, you got their full attention, all those things that kind of run through your mind and, and, um, you know, for what it's worth, I just, I think it's, I hope that those things don't go away.
1: No, I totally agree. And I, I'm hundred percent agreement with you. I just think that we're in a hands-on business, you know, uh, yeah. and we get our hands dirty in this business. And, and if you're not there, you know, I, I think the technology is wonderful in certain respects, like. We can take photographs of a green uh, send it to maybe the pathologist that's going to do the diagnosis to help them Yep. Uh, but but it can't it can't replace the human contact and the communication that we all have
0: yeah I, that's a good point. I mean, the technology's there to help and you know it's at some point it, it can't replace though right. you know it's exactly got to be a tool to to kind of overall fit in yeah well if, um. I appreciate this, you sitting down and, and chatting with me for a minute. It's been pleasure. Man, it's been fun. Yeah. I hope you got something out of it. Man. Oh,
1: absolutely. I yeah. always do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for people that are listening uh, and heard all the commotion in the background and wind and everything, we're sitting outside. At, uh, it's a beautiful day. I think it's our first day in the 70s in a long time. So fall's here here in uh, Middle Tennessee. We're at Eagleville at Champions Run. So if you heard any commotion, you listen to the podcast, I apologize for all that. And, um, but, uh, where are you on social media? Do you do any social media? Yes, I know sir. you do a little bit. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you and mm-hmm. contact you if they're interested.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at 91Cyclone. So at 91Cyclone. I graduated from, from, uh, Iowa State in 1991. So that's how I remember it. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, greencast.com is our, our uh, company website, and we've got all our technical information, our labels, our online rebate calculators that can help you plan. All of it is on that Greencast online website. Yep. And so there's even text alerts you can get to your phone now, uh, monitoring lo- local soil conditions that can alert you when pest outbreaks are about to happen. So uh, that's the one site that I would urge all of my golf customers in particular to go yep. to it's, uh, and, and save it on their, yep. their uh, URL. So.
0: Cool. Well, Sean, you're one of the smartest people I know, man. Keep doing it. Keep uh, keep our business alive, and, and uh, good seeing you, and glad everything's going well for you. Y'all go uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, we'll share this, um, and uh, it was a pleasure sitting down and uh, chatting with you, and uh, thanks again for doing this. And, uh, man, we'll do it again.
1: Yep. My pleasure. Thank you, BJ, and go Cyclones.
0: All right. Well, for everybody that's listening, that's the end of the episode. I appreciate it. Uh, Sean is with Syngenta, and uh, we had a good uh, conversation today. And I appreciate you listening. Uh, Until next time, that's the end of the episode, and I will talk to you soon.